Good morning. Welcome to the Celtic Way Morning Briefing Live. I'm Tony Haggerty, a Haggerty 10 Twitter handle, you know that by now. And I'm joined today by Sean Martin at Sean Martin TCW and Aidan McDonald, who looks as if he's in a lift shaft there, but uh, he shields as he's not. That's at Aidan C. McDonald Twitter handle. It's Thursday, November the 10th, and it's the morning after the night before Celtic 1-2-1, the Scottish Premiership at Fir Park. That's eight domestic wins in a row. We'll get to that in a second. First and foremost, I'll direct you to the strap line at the bottom. You know what I'm going to say? Please subscribe if you enjoy everything that we do on the website and all the podcasts, then hit that subscribe button. It's a pound for two months of full access to everything that's written on said website and you get access to the daily briefings as well. And it's uh, you hit that button, a pound a month for two months, yeah, a pound for two months of full access, sorry, www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. A bargain and an even bigger bargain as you get three of us to talk on the pod today. Sean, there's a bargain if ever there was one. Yep, almost as big a bargain as Henrik Larson, Tony. <laughs> Indeed, I think that's the biggest bargain ever, or Liverpool, whatever way you want to put it. The two of them for less than a million quid. Bargains galore, that's what I say. Now, Sean, as I alluded to, Celtic 2-1 winners over Motherwell yep. at Fir Park last night. Now, we spoke about it yesterday. Ange got the result, but he didn't get the performance, and he was a wee bit. He didn't yep. like the fact that he never got a performance, because he said in his aftermatch comments, I'm not a grinder. I don't like to grind out victories. You see, he wants a performance too. So, big thing. Called it right in that sense, Sean, that he wanted the result and a performance. But I guess in the cold light of day, he'll still be happy that he got the result. I, um, I think he's probably mirrored by most fans as well in terms of acknowledging <laughs> the performance wasn't quite there, but the three points still came into the bank at the end. Of it so it, it, it can be kind of not brushed over. It can be used in a, a more con, constructive manner than if you, you drop points. But overall, I, I I wouldn't say anyone was outstanding. Uh, and I think Postacoglu's post-match comments reflect that. But it was nonetheless a, a tick, as you say, a tick in that results column, even if it wasn't one in the uh, the performance one overall. And within that, I mean, there were still, although I said there's nobody really outstanding, there were still a couple who played particularly well as well. So, Yeah, Aidan, I thought that too, but getting the three points is all that mattered, really. I know Poster Cog was very big in performance and results, but if you've got to grind it out, you've got to grind it out at times. Yeah, you've got to. I mean, across the season, you're not going to win every game 4-5-0, and if you're not, maybe playing to the best of your ability, yet winning, getting all three points in, you can't really have any complaints. I thought overall it was a relatively controlled performance. A wee bit edgy near the end, obviously, when they conceded the goal, but at this stage of the season, it's just about getting the victories until the one cut break for me to make sure you're maintaining that seven-point gap. So, overall, I was relatively satisfied with it, to be honest. Yeah, Sean, the, the seven-point gap's still there. One game to go before the, the World Cup break and Celtic could make it nine domestic wins in a row. But a great way to close that chapter, wouldn't it, of the season? Aye, um, it's the only way to close it, I think. It's, uh, <laughs> you don't want to be going... Uh, to, to Sydney with a bad taste left in your mouth having lost or, or dropped points in the last game and I don't I don't think they will I think uh, I, I think they'll go for that um, ending on a high type thing going into the, the mini pre-season as we'll come to uh, the mid-season pre-season as you called it um, 
having ideally stayed at least seven points, but ideally went even even further ahead um, getting into it. But Aidan, it's imperative that Celtic remain at least seven points ahead uh, after Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it'd be a really healthy gap to have at this stage of the season. I think me and you spoke about it the other day, Tony. It's probably the sort of points gap that if you ended the season like that, you would think it's been a really good 12 months for the team. So the fact that it's before the World Cup break, before Christmas, etc. Or well, before Christmas, I should say. And uh, the team's sitting seven points clear. It's more than you probably could have asked for at this stage. And it is imperative that they, they keep that gap the way it is going into the World Cup break. Sean, performances. I mm-hmm. put in my man-by-mans last night of player ratings. I thought Cameron Carter-Vicker, Starfelt and Matt O'Reilly were the pick of the bunch for me last night. I agree with you. I, that's, that's the three I would pick out. I think Kyogo's Kyogo, finished. Maida's yeah. finished. Maida getting closer to that top goal scorer, Aguilade, Tony. Um, I think about you when he buried that. <laughs> um, no, standouts, no, I, I think, as I say, not, not an outstanding display from anyone, I would say, but there were still ones that, that were playing particularly well and I thought O'Reilly um, once again taking a lot of responsibility he got forward more again which we've seen in the last mm-hmm. couple of games and he showed that tenacious side of his game as well to to get yeah. that assist for, for Kyogo it was his 11th consecutive start Tony I tweeted this out before the game uh, it was also Hatati's as well but take O'Reilly for instance right? so it's 11th consecutive start which is his longest streak for Celtic uh, but it's also his longest conce- uh, consecutive start streak since uh, the end of the 2020-21 season with mm. MK Dons. So he's been relied upon amid all the rotation. Obviously, Carl McGregor's injury plays a big part in that, but you can't deny the responsibility that Ange Postecoglou's putting on his shoulders at 21 years of age. Um, and I am expecting another big performance yeah. from him in his 12th start in a row on Saturday, Tony, to tell that Denmark manager, look, I'm doing all I can here. Correct. I did say that. And man, are you watching Casper Hjumland and I have to say, Aidan, I uh, I loved his tenacity for that first goal. It was just top draw stuff. Oh, it, it was superb. I mean, obviously it comes from a bit of a poor touch from him originally, but mm-hmm. the fact he's able to you know jump in, get the ball, and then play a really quality pass to get the assist was sensational. And just, I'm not surprised there uh, that O'Reilly's been starting all those games. Obviously, a lot of it's been forced due to McGregor's injury, but even if McGregor was there, I'm sure he would still be playing a bit further forward. And he's been absolutely excellent during this spell. Fans have to remember he's been played out of position, but he seems to be growing into the role relatively well. Not just uh, the from an attacking and a sort of creative standpoint, the defensive aspects of that role he's been excellent and he's tackling, tracking back. And you've seen it at stages last night. You know he's only twenty-one years old and he's telling much more experienced players kind of behind him and in front of him yes. that you just need to calm down and see the game out, sort of thing. Which is brilliant leadership skills for a player of that age. So. Overall, Matt O'Reilly's been brilliant this season. I think that's well, part and parcel of playing that role, isn't it? I know it's not not just because McGregor is the captain and he's replaced him, but just the responsibility that that role in that team kind of carries with it. And I agree with you, it takes on that kind of leadership role, not <coughs> actually, but I've pointed out since well, since Tony's known me that Greg Taylor does that as well from left-back. And you've got to remember, he's, he's, he's still young as well. So it's not so much about the age as it is about the personality for me. And um, I think you see it more when there's an absence in the team, like there was, like there is when Carl McGregor's not there. Very much so, and I, uh, I just really admire the fact that he lost the ball and won the ball back, and then had the presence of mind to square it across goal for Kyogo for a tap, and he couldn't miss. <clears throat> I just thought it was a, a brilliant piece of play. You know, it was just 
real quick thinking switched on that you realised he could win the ball. But we've been seeing that more in O'Reilly. He's, he's tenacious side in the way he gets into tackles. And as you say, if you've been watching him closely, he has that to his game, Sean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Aussie coming in saying he had a dip, but boys coming into his own now. I'd agree that there was a couple of games because I was looking back at the ratings before we do our power rankings. I was trying to collate them all. And there was a run of games after McGregor got injured when he got moved back and he was getting like sixes rather than his usual sevens and eights um, and occasional nines. But I would have said it's more it was more the adjustment rather than a dip, like a true dip in form. I still think he was playing okay, but he was trying to adjust to this new role. Um, in the last couple of games in particular, domestically anyway, you've saw him get forward a lot more, which obviously he's, he's more effective in the forward areas. That's why he's, he's naturally more creative. He's not really played that deep role. Uh, as a senior pro, so I think it was more adjustment than than a true dip in form, Aidan. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Sean. I mean, it's I know I think he had played that role briefly at Fulham for the odd game here and there, but to come in and have to do it, particularly in Champions League games, etc., was was never going to be easy. Even if a player was established and been involved in that position, so I think he's going into it really well. And yeah, there might have been a, a few sort of slightly sloppy performances at the start, but he's completely grown into such an important position in the pitch. And going forward, I would have plenty of confidence, even when McGregor was back. It was a case of having to give McGregor a rest, etc. I'd be quite happy for Matt O'Reilly to sort of float back into that position if need be. Tony, the Gary McDill's comment here, Kyogo's anticipation of O'Reilly winning the ball back was impressive as well. Totally agree with that. And I remember last year when we were picking more goals of the season and stuff, I kept going on about that goal against Aberdeen, the Chester chest finish. Too. But it wasn't necessarily just because of the chest finish, which was cheeky, obviously, but it was uh, in the build-up to that. Do you remember it was a quick throw by David Turnbull that started the the, uh, the the kind of cross to go in? But before that, and it was a quick throw, right? It definitely was a quick throw. But even before the quick throw had been taken, Kyogo had already saw that there was an opportunity to try and get in the box because that's just what it does. He's a step ahead a lot yeah. of the time. Um, and that was, that was last night. He made the assumption... Uh, that if O'Reilly manages to win that ball back, knowing that he's a front foot kind of defender guy, would try and get it back right away, um, then he would be free in the box if he did win it back. And sure enough, it happened. So I, I agree with Gary McDowell. Definitely worth highlighting that. Um, my, my apologies. To... My cable was out and I was on uh, emergency battery, so there was a wee bit ah, of panic. No. I thought you were looking for the rulers for when we put the fast <laughs> shots up. <laughs> no, 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 I was, I was panicking because I thought I might disappear completely altogether. So, well, Kirsty uh, thought you were trying to hide for everybody here, Tony. You hiding? I'm back in the room now. I believe. Uh, hopefully, I won't disappear from your screen altogether. But that might be a good thing. Some people Hill, Tony, it's not the time for hiding. <laughs> Very much so. Yes. Can't get away with anything on here, Tony. No, you, you should know that. No, no, I, I was starting to panic. You could probably see me scrambling about there. There you go. There's an image nobody wanted. It's Tony yeah. looking for his speedos for Bondi Beach. Yeah, get, that, <laughs> get that image out of your head completely. Uh, it was my cable, Sam. Sam's asking uh, my cable to plug in because I was on emergency battery there. So that was. I've got all sorts of plug points down here. You wouldn't want to know, but there you go. Uh, Tony, the other two that you mentioned there, um, we've kind of went on a bit earlier there, but I did think Starfield merits I mentioned because I wouldn't say it had a lot to do with overall. I know Motherwell made it difficult, but I wouldn't say they necessarily threatened outside their goal. Um, <clears throat> uh, but given it was his first domestic start since the 4-0 derby win on September the 3rd, I, I feel he merits I mentioned. I thought he did well. It obviously helps when you've got Big uh, consist- Mr. Consistent next to you, big Cameron Carter-Vickers, who also, I think, played really well. Um, 
just absolutely strolls through most games, doesn't it, Tony? Um, you, you call him Cam- Cameron Carter-Vickers eight because that's just what happens. He usually gets an eight out of ten. Um, and remember last night, he'll have known that that USA squad announcement was coming yeah. up at the end of that game and he still led by example and had a really good game. Um, so I, I think the two of them plus O'Reilly would be the three. He said in the preview to it that, you know, he was asked, it was it hard not to focus on that? And he was like, no, I've got a job to do. Celtic and the manager obviously said he was going to pick him, Aidan. So he strolled to that. But the, the thing I liked about uh, Starfield last night, the first pass apart when Van Veen went through and hit the post, mm-hmm. his distribution after that was pretty solid and he looked a lot more confident strolling forward and uh, starting moves. And being that guy who could carry the ball 40, 50 yards, and he did look as if he'd never been away. Yeah, no, I thought Starfield was uh, pretty solid last night, outside of that pass that you mentioned there, Tony. Obviously, he's been out for an extended period of time between the first injury and then the second injury, if you're combining both of those spells out together. So it's going to take a bit of a while for him to find his feet. The fact he came in against Real Madrid and had to play you know, 90 minutes as well probably wouldn't have been ideal for his recovery, but given the sort of set injury situation at centre-back, that's what had to be done. But I think overall, it was fine. It'll be really important for the second half of the season if both uh, Carter Vickers and Starfield can stay fit because that was such an important centre-half partnership for winning the league last year. We obviously know how good Celtic were going forward uh, during Andrew's first season in terms of Kyogo, Jota, etc. But that centre-half partnership didn't concede a lot of goals domestically. So that'll be a key component if they're wanting to be successful again this year. Yeah, they were pivotal, I have to say. Yeah, Andrew Gross's attack was on his heels, made Starfield look bad. Yeah, I suppose you could look at it that way too. Oh, I had to, by the way, Tony, I had to message you during the game just to clarify what happened, didn't I? Yes, because you, you, did. you were at Fur Park and uh, you'd have just heard the Motherwell fans in uproar. Uh, with the Stephen O'Donnell Real Hatati incident and Mark Markey saying Hatati was wrestled by a well player while both on the ground trying to get up and Wells box looked like a foul. Um I would I, I would call it the the, the kind of bit of both because O'Donnell, if anything, O'Donnell was a guilty party. I thought the pictures after it, because I was on PA looking at the pictures and stuff, you actually do see Hatati physically grabbing <laughs> uh, O'Donnell's heel. But to me, I would say it was a wee bit of um a wee bit of handbags, if you want to put it that way. I don't know if you'll use that term now, but um, O'Donnell wrestled, they, they wrestled each other down, but also O'Donnell made them stay down, if you want me. O'Donnell kind of tried to hold, hold them down while he got back up, and Hatati just kind of went, what are you doing, that kind of thing. So there was nothing in it for me, nothing in for for either way. But if anything, if any of them were going to be penalised, despite what the Motherwell crowd obviously thought, I would have said it would be O'Donnell. Um, but I, um, I don't think it was Hatati's best game, Tony, I must say. No. I don't think he did a great game last night. I don't think he did either. But now we've gone 15 minutes in. Let's get to it. Can't avoid it. <sighs> Two big decisions last night, Sean. Yes. Uh, what one you want to go for first? The offside or the uh, serious foul play? We'll go for the, the offside because you... Here we go you, then, here we go. You put out a picture last night. And I'm you're putting up the picture. Ah, yeah, going to put it up here. I don't know what it'll be like quality-wise because it's literally that's like the a screenshot, screenshot they've got for the VAR. I mean, I saw it in real time and I thought he was onside. I had to say, mm-hmm. and I was waiting for the clarification. Now, there we go, right? Um, I that that that's the image, and to me, I mean, um, it could be off. That's the thing; it could be yeah. off. It's very marginal. It could be off, but dearie me, Tony, that camera angle. 
Oh, as you say, I, I, po- I posted this on Twitter last night. Yeah, you did. Basically saying, is this is this truly the, the angle that they used to determine it? Or is it just the one that was flashed up on the feed? Because there are five other cameras at that ground minimum. That's what the SFA declared before it yeah. got introduced. There'll be six cameras minimum. And if it was a broadcast game, they could make use of the Sky cameras and all that. Obviously, this wasn't last night. Um, it was Motherwell TV and Celtic TV. But that's what the SFA declared. Six cameras minimum at all these games. So you're telling me that, that, that none of the other cameras had a better angle than that one? You need binoculars to even see Jota from that angle for me. I, I genuinely... That's why I, I think a clarification would be good. And I know I've said to you before, they won't be clarifying it because they're a protected species and they don't need to explain this stuff and maybe they should and all that. But I just I would like to know if it was that angle that they made the decision off it or if they did have another angle and it just wasn't put up in the feed. That's, that's what I would want to know. Because from that angle, how is it anything but inconclusive? Yeah, Aidan, a million pounds of it's all they spent on VAR, six camera angles every game, these these kind of incidents will be cut down and you'll get the right decision. Now, as Sean says there, if that's the angle that they've gone with to make that decision, <clears throat> then you have to start questioning if VAR's fit for purpose, if that's what's going to happen, if it's not a live game. Yeah, I completely agree with both points that you've made there. If... <laughs> If that's the sort of camera angle that they've chosen to come to a final decision, then, like Sean was saying, how can you possibly see whether or not that's offside? Now, maybe the ridge is another angle, we won't really know that, but I just... Uh, that's two games in a row now. I've been completely baffled by VAR and the rules. <laughs> and when... Uh, just that, that Jota, it, the absolute bare minimum it is very, very tight there. If anything, actually, I think he does look a wee bit onside. Maybe I've been a bit biased. I don't know. But what I will say is that could be the best offside goal I've ever seen. Because I'm going to say no. Right. Up to uh, it. It was exceptional. Yeah. Kyogo was, was sort of tenacity to win the ball from a defence position, beat a couple of players and then play a world-class pass. And then the finish was excellent. But, yeah, like I say, if that's the sort of angle they were making the decision based on, then... I don't think there's any way they can fully know, but what can you do? Obviously, it didn't affect the result of the game, but that doesn't really matter. You should still be able to discuss these decisions because it's still something that's up for debate. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, longer term, even if it's something as basic as making sure the cameras are in better angles, I don't know. But if, if it's, they, they do need to try and improve and give more clarification, like Sean was saying, but obviously, it's unlikely they're going to come out and explain each individual decision but I think it would probably p- push the whole thing on a wee bit more and maybe make things a wee bit more clearer for supporters and players and managers if they did do that but we'll just need to wait and see mm-hmm. Tony, when it came in they, they'd say it would go to, as I say minimum of six cameras they said it would be two in the main stand one on each of the 18 yard lines one behind each goals uh, and then if you can use sky cameras and that, that's fine I still, I'm still asking the question how is that the best angle? No, no, listen, I, I completely which makes me wonder: did, did they did they have the other angle, and that's just the one that was on the feed? Because I just don't, I don't under, I just don't get how they can use no, that no. angle for the, the the thing. And I know there's lines, and it comes up saying, "Oh no, it, it meets the parameters for offside or whatever." But from that angle, you're just asking to be criticised. I think. As I say, I saw it in real time, and it looked onside to me all the way, and I was applauding. Aiden, as you say, a goal of the season contender. I turned down to guys in the press when I went. That's goal of the season. And then I saw Jota stop and I thought, oh, oh, and I went, surely not. I just had to, I couldn't see an offside there in real time. I, I, again, uh, if there's uh, 
an angle or a camera angle that shows me differently and I'll say, well, it's marginal and, and I'll concede if it is offside, but still to me in real time it wasn't and I've still to be convinced that it is offside with any of the photo stills and that one's just as clear as mud in that one, isn't it? So, yeah. it's... Patrick McLaughlin, that's zoomed in from Wishaw General CCTV footage. <laughs> now, the other big decision, guys. Yes. Starfelt, tackled mm-hmm. by Morris on Starfelt. Yep. I mean, it's a red all day long. It's high, it's reckless, it's endangering dang- an opponent, Sean. Yeah, I've got Starfield. another wee, uh, wee picture for you, Tony. Not of the tackle, but of the IFAB stuff. I'm telling you, I'm just going to end up having to keep this IFAB thing handy all the time. It was handball the other day, series foul play this time. So it says um, the IFAB rules that they're meant to be working to is a tackle or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality. It must be sanctioned as series foul play. And the series foul play is a sending off offence. It says any player who lunges at an opponent and challenging for the ball from the front, from the side or from behind, using one or both legs, with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent is guilty of serious foul play. Now, to me, Tony, Josh Morrison, Starfelt, and this is a Starfelt just back from two back-to-back injuries, as Aidan just commented, remember, which, OK, doesn't technically factor into anything, right? But still, uh, in any case, if you've seen the clip, um, both feet are off the ground, studs are up, and it's knee-high. Yeah. Um, it, it gets checked. So, they obviously, the officials obviously thought there's something not right with this here. It gets checked because it's a potential red card defence because you kind of check a yellow card. Um, but they say, no, yellow card was correct. So I can only assume it was to avoid re-refereeing the decision where the column made. They didn't think it was clear-cut enough or whatever. But for me, Morris has massively got away with that. And the VAR, David Dickinson, following on from his non-action when Jack Amakis was raked down the abdomen at the weekend, I suppose he's at least at least he's consistent with the ineptitude, Tony. He's consistent with the ineptitude, uh, with two challenges on two Celtic players in succession. Aidan, that's a straight red. Yeah, straight away when I seen it, I thought it was a straight red, never mind all your extra camera angles, etc. And the referee uh, being closer on the pitch, he's went right through it and you can see it clearly on the replays. There's not really any attempt to win the ball and that shouldn't even be like any sort of VAR discussion now. That should just be a straight red because it's a terrible challenge. And obviously there's now the added element, the fact that VAR does exist. You've then got a situation where it's the same referee who made a questionable decision at the weekend. So obviously it's, it's, it is frustrating, uh, you know, that there's not going to be any sort of protection for any players because if that's not being viewed as a red card, that's going to affect all teams, do you know what I mean? Because wild challenges like that can happen in any game. So... Yeah, it was a bit of a baffling decision, to be honest. It seemed pretty clear-cut to me. Sean, it goes back to what I've always said in these instances. What are they seeing or what are they not seeing? It's more a question of, I suppose somebody mentioned it on here the other day, if they're not getting it right with the benefit of video analysis, how are they going to get it right on the pitch as well? But, um, aye, I mean, what more can you but, say? That's that's a couple of games, more than a couple of games. That's three games in a row now, but, uh, domestically. Four games in a row, three games in a row now domestically where Celtic seem to have um, come a cropper. But obviously, they've actually not paid for it, and that's a testament to the team themselves. And as, as Ange Postecoglou says, you don't let it get to you. You play your own game anyway. But at some stage, it will cost Celtic if these decisions oh, keep, sure. keep happening. So um, at that stage, I think as long as, you, as long as us here sitting here and, and Ange Postecoglou, or obviously when he was asked yesterday, I hadn't seen the Jota one back, he might have a different opinion the day, but... Um, 
as long as we highlight it when Celtic have won, then you can't be criticised saying it's only because Celtic have dropped points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll leave it at that, I suppose, for the day. But <laughs> now the other big issue to emerge from yesterday, Sean, mm-hmm. was Ange Postacoglu's rebuttal of Steve Clark's disappointing yep. comments that the Celtic players weren't being included for the friendly against Turkey and just taking them to Australia to play in the Sydney Super Cup. The mini pre-season, mid-season, as I called it, uh, on my piece which I've written, which you put up on the website and you put the link to there, he's perfectly correct, isn't he? Because it's not a FIFA-designated international window and clubs are not under uh, obligation to release players mm-hmm. for friendly matches. The um, thing is, Tony, you, you make a point in that, which I think just cuts right to the heart of it. There's no need for this friendly to be happening to begin with. Yes. It's not a Nations League game. Nations League was introduced to avoid having to have meaningless friendlies. This, this is just a meaningless friendly. That It's nothing more. And it was, uh, all right, so players will, and I don't doubt that they would have wanted to represent Scotland and, and obviously Carl Starfield with Sweden. If, uh, if it was a Nations League match and stuff, it would have been a different kettle of fish, as you point out in that article. Um, fundamentally, it's not a Nations League match. It's not a competitive game. It's a random friendly that was organised a month ago. Um, so I, I don't see any problem with it. Ange Postecoglou knows what, what's happening with that international things. He was a national team manager himself. Sure. Um, more to Make the point, point I referenced what you called it in your article, the mid-season, pre-season. All right, it is a homecoming tour, and, and but I think people are willfully misrepresenting it by saying, oh, he wants them to come on his wee, his, his wee homecoming trip rather than go and play for Scotland. His wee homecoming trip is more important than a meaningless friendly against Turkey, which let's not get started on accepting a friendly with Turkey at this point in time, by the way. But um, it's more important because for Celtic's priorities, a random mid-season break for a, a Winter World Cup, again, let's not start about that, is, uh, is essentially interrupting a season. So although it happens to be in Sydney and it is going to be tied in with Ange Postecoglou coming back to Australia and all of that, all that that entails... Apart from the guys going to the World Cup, he's going to have the crux of his squad there. He's going to be able to use it as a mid-season, pre-season yeah. to enable them to come back and hit the ground running on the 17th of December when the games restart. What benefit is the Scotland friendly going to bring? None. Yeah. Aidan, do you subscribe to that? you with Ange on this one? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, FIFA haven't designated that as a specific break that international players need to be released outside of the World Cup. So... Celtic are entitled to not do it. Uh, obviously, I can, I can also understand Steve Clark's frustration. Obviously, Celtic players have been an important factor in Scotland squads really during his reign and the previous reign before that. So I, I, I do get why he's maybe a bit gutted not to have all the players at his disposal. But I thought Ange summed it up quite well last night when he was saying, you know, him and the club, there's no issue with Steve Clark, no issue with Scotland. It's just the sort of, the this is a window they don't need to release players. Andrew, I'll keep them around the training ground, have them and friendlies at Celtic involved in, so there's a wee bit more control over what's happening. So, it's just, I, I think it's a wee bit of a non-issue, to be honest. I, I can understand why it's been discussed, but overall, I, I don't think it's really that big a deal. When the next squad comes out, Tony, and this, obviously, remember, this isn't just Scotland, as Ange pointed out, he, he said no to Carol Starfield going with Sweden as well. Um, I think that benefits him even more than the Scotland players actually because yeah. he's coming back for those two injuries actually but um, yeah. maybe get him the pre-season he didn't have in a way yeah. um, 
But the next time the next Scotland squad comes out, I'll I'll be watching and with interest because I'm I'm hoping it doesn't count against any of the Celtic players because it really shouldn't. Um, and you've got to remember, I'm supposed to call reference that the Celtic give a lot of players to that international team. Um, not all of them start every game. In fact, I would make a point that David Turnbull virtually goes as just somebody to watch the games when he goes because he doesn't get any game time. He comes up every time he's asked. He goes every time he's asked. He's there every time he's asked. So I, I would like to think it won't count against any of them. I actually thought Ange Postecoglou dealt with it impeccably. I've said in the piece, if there's an equivalent of a, a football diplomat, then Ange was very diplomatic yesterday because he, he diffused any kind of club versus country now because it was nothing of the sort, was it, Sean? And he no, should know all about that no, because he's been a national manager, he's been in those shoes, and he was, again, he was signposting, saying, look, I've been there, I get frustrated, but it's time to be big boys about it. I've still got on well with Steve, he's a cracking guy, so... No, you're there, right. There was no row there, you know. And there, it, there was no row, and there was no club versus country row, primarily because, as Postacoglu says, there is no decision, you're not going. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, and exactly, and he... I, I he he acted like a leader of his club, and he was putting his club first when he, he he was perfectly within rights to do so. Because if that's a competitive friendly, a UEFA Nations League match, there is no question. Even if Celtic were going to Australia, those players would have been released for it. I I'd, no, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. If that was, it would have been a different stipulation anyway. But as I say, it's. Um, <clears throat> without getting too much about Scotland deciding to accept a friendly with Turkey at this point in time anyway, um, it is just a friendly and it kind of undermines what the whole Nations League concept was meant to be there for because it's not a warm-up for the World Cup for Scotland, for instance. It's just a, it's just a meaningless friendly that was arranged a month ago. Indeed. Well, that's been half an hour of top chat. Celtic still seven points ahead, Aidan. One can we more. just mention just before we go, Tony? There's a couple what? of comments here. Um, can you just confirm, Aidan? It's not a lift shaft, but it's also not your kitchen laptop you're sitting on. <laughs> I, I can confirm that it's neither. Uh, it's an undisclosed location, but. Unde- uh, uh, unconfirmed oh. rumours, you're actually in that wardrobe behind Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Great Wi Fi connection, Tony, I've got to say. Can we say that it unplugged your charger, Tony? <laughs> I was having problems with plugs, so don't talk about that earlier. So I was beginning yeah. to panic. One last know. question before we go, and this is go just don't we'll not spend too much time on it, but I just I just think it's a good question. Um six changes last night, guys. Gary McDowell says, Do you think it's time for us to stop rotating the squad quite as much and play the best team more often than not? I presume the kind of the addendum that it's not added on is because there's no Europe now to kind of try and think on. Um what do you think? I, uh, I'm always, I always trust the manager in whatever teams he picks. I think I got eight last night. I was a bit fair enough, you know. But I, uh, we all have our thoughts on that, don't we? He does it for a reason. Everything he says, he does with purpose and a reason. But he always explains why he does it. So I'm happy with that. And if he wants to keep rotating the squad and he, he, at least he lets the fans know why he's doing it, then I think you have to go with him. Because he's not called very much wrong domestically so far, has he? That's what Beach Boys is basically saying, Tony. Seven points clear, so no, because it's going just fine. Which yeah, you can't argue with, because apart from that's a winning game domestically, it's been flawless. Yeah, it ain't broke. You know, so I, I, you know, we all have our 
teams that we put up, Aidan and myself put our team the other day and well, close-ish, but no close cigar, you know what I mean? So, but one day, one day, it'll be an 11-11 yeah. for me. Yeah, well, a clean sweep. I've, I've had it a couple You've of times. You've been through this season already, Tony, I think, yeah, which is no mean feat, given injuries and rotation and all that. But yeah, Sean sure. T coming in saying, who is the best team? No, that's a tough one. And that's been echoed a, a couple of times throughout it. Remember, Tony, last January when uh, Celtic made their, their, their signings of Hitati and Maida and, and O'Reilly stuff, we tried to, we, the two of us done like a panel thing and tried to pick the best 11 or the first choice yeah. 11. And uh, I think I had I think I had that in Alston in it over Juranovic at that point because he'd only really played left back for yeah. the majority of the time. But, and obviously, wasn't he dropping Greg Taylor? Um, so Obviously. It's, uh, obviously. So it's a hard, it's a hard one because no, I. As I say, when there's a big game round the corner, you'll find out who he thinks his best team is. Yeah, but yeah. realistically, I with, with the amount of games Celtic have got, rotation's always going to play a massive role. Um, would you think, Aidan, is it time it, it rotates less? or? I think not to just kind of echo exactly what you were saying there, Sean, but given the amount of games Celtic are going to be involved in, there's going to be rotation. And over the course of the majority of the squad, most of the time you're okay with sort of one player swapping in for another on the whole. There's probably mm-hmm. certain players you would always like to be involved. Taylor being one of them, really. As much oh. as I think Burnaby's been good. Burnaby's been good. I think overall, at the moment, I'd still kind of mostly prefer to see Taylor in there. But, you know, there can be rotation. And even though there's no Europe, there's still a lot of games to be played. So, overall, I think the rotation, it might not be as much, maybe six or seven that we've seen quite mm-hmm. a lot recently when we come back after World Cup break. But I think there'll still be the odd player. Uh, swapping in and out. Well, I'll say Tony has hardened you here, Aidan. Well, he's gone in. They've gone and studs up on you there, Aidan. Uh, I was going to say the 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 fact that Aidan mentioned Greg Taylor wanted to be in a team every week, and that was before Carter Vickers, Jota, Callum McGregor. And stuff. I've been radical. Oh, yes, it took me. It took me. What I you've you, we've been doing this over a year now, Tony. I've been hammering away that whole time about Greg Taylor with you. Aidan's been here. What? Four months or something, and I've already got him. I've already got him. Convert, we have a convert. He's seen the light and all that. So yeah, you have him where you want him. Greg Just Taylor. wait till he wears that he's armband. Decent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, guys, Celtic are still seven points clear. One more to go before the World Cup, and uh, we'll be here tomorrow to preview that. Yeah, two goals and three points nearer to the title, says Brian Roberts. Yeah. Maybe not a vintage performance, but sometimes you take the result, don't you, Sean? Yep, that's it. Yep. So I'll just, as we always do, direct your attention to the ticker tape running along the bottom. You know what I'm going to say. Subscribe to the Celtic Way if you don't already. For those who do, we thank you very much. We also thank you for your comments that come in on a daily basis. We appreciate it. You support top quality journalism, guys. Covering the club you love is a pound for two months of full access. Access to everything that's written on the website on more than just a podcast, you know that. And there uh, you get access to the pods as well. All you have to do is hit the button, the subscribe button, www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. A pound for two months. Can't say fairer than that. Go on, subscribe. You know it makes sense. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Aidan. Cheers, Tony. Cheers, guys.